new COVID modeling data. So this is, I believe, the end of our beginning of this pandemic. How far we can relax physical distancing rules without disastrous consequences. Recovering the wreckage of an off-road tragedy. The water was freakishly glacial cold. The Good Samaritan who stepped in to help. And remember hockey? How Vancouver could play a critical role in getting the NHL back on the ice. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The number of new developments in the COVID are in the fight against COVID-19 in this province today. First, a look at the latest numbers. Since Saturday afternoon, BC has recorded 53 new cases of the virus for a total now of 2,224. We've had three additional deaths, which means 117 people have now died from the virus. 77 people are in hospital. That's up five. 20 of them are in ICU. That's down three, and 1,417 are now considered recovered. Also today, the province's latest COVID-19 modeling data. That information can help prepare the healthcare system for the next stage in the pandemic. And as Richard Zussman reports, it's also helping build the roadmap for a gradual removal of restrictions and reopening the economy. When it comes to age, it's becoming clear for everyone over 18, COVID-19 doesn't discriminate. The province unveiling new data on Monday, painting a picture of who is being infected by the virus and how the province is doing at stopping the spread. People between the ages of 30 and 60 making up more than half of the confirmed cases. But when it comes to hospitalizations, the story changes. What we see is a shift to the older age groups. So those people who have severe enough illness to need to be in hospital tend to be older. And the risk goes up even further for men. 60% of men, 70 to 79, that contracted COVID ended up in hospital, compared to 43% of women in the same age bracket. Looking at the same ages, 4% of women with the virus died, while 14% of men have. As we get older, we start to see that men more than women have more severe illness that require them to be hospitalized. Healthcare workers make up 20% of all cases, but only 8% of those sick end up in hospital. Overall, BC faring well compared to the rest of the country and most parts of the world. As you can see, this is the work that we have all been doing over the past few weeks in what we've called bending the curve and now flattening it. The data showing a significant leveling off in terms of visits to the ICU in all health authorities. Dr. Bonnie Henry having some advice to ensure it stays that way. It is in our hands as long as we don't forget to wash them. So let's keep this going. And a significant milestone Monday in the province's fight against the virus. So this is, I believe, the end of our beginning of this pandemic. But Dr. Henry warning if people start easing up too soon, the province again will be thrust right back to the start. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, now that modeling, now that modeling, I should say, is effectively a blueprint that will help the province determine how we should proceed when it comes to reopening BC's economy. As Keith Baldry reports, it includes four key elements for businesses and consumers. So our challenge and our work together is to find that sweet spot. 
It is one of Dr. Bonnie Henry's favorite expressions, finding the sweet spot that balances health safety with increased social interactions. Wherever we find it, one thing will remain clear, physical distancing will be at the core of it. There are things that we know work and work well. Physical distancing, it has made a difference. It has allowed us to put the, put the brakes on COVID-19. In fact, among what is now called the new hierarchy of controls when it comes to fighting COVID-19, physical distancing of two meters is considered by far the most effective measure. That's followed by erecting physical barriers, such as plexiglass shields. Then comes crowd control, limiting the number of people in a store, say. And finally, personal protection equipment, such as the wearing of non-surgical masks, which is considered the least effective. But make no mistake, maintaining your physical distance from others is critical, and it's the key to reopening our economy. Over time, right now, physical distance saves lives. For now, physical distance is our closest friend, whether we run a business, we're employees, children, whoever we are. The model for other businesses to follow when it comes to reopening may be what grocery stores are now doing. We have good examples of how that works in our grocery stores. We need to think about those types of models in other retail settings. However, one thing will remain banned as we open up our economy. Some of the things that will not be changing that in the near future are the orders, for example, on numbers of people who can uh, congregate together. And right now that's at 50. So if you're somebody who's planning a wedding or an event this summer, for example, these are the things that we'll have to think about. Smaller is better. Outside is safer than inside. As a result of all of this, our coming summer will look like nothing we've ever seen before. All right, let's check in with Keith Baldry for more. Keith, Dr. Henry had some interesting and some surprising things to say today about the return to sports. Now, not pro sports, uh, kids sports. Yes, uh, sometimes you ask certain questions, you get answers you didn't expect. So, again, uh, we've been talking to both Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix, who are both sports fans, about the need to get outside. And they do think that walking outside, enjoying the weather, and engaging in recreational activities is a sort of an antidote to mental health issues. So she mentioned one sport today they think is going to please a lot of 12-year-old kids. Here's Dr. Bonnie Henry. How do we uh, apply those in the different settings that we're going to be faced with in the coming summer? So we can do Little League Baseball, for example, but we, it'll look different this summer. I think that one of the other things that I think it's important to recognize is I, I don't believe that we will be doing this type of restrictions forever. Um, we still do not know a lot about this, facts, this virus. In particular, we don't know how long immunity lasts. We don't know how, um, how to measure it very well. As we know, there's been challenges with the tests, the serologic tests for immunity. So those are all those things that we will know more about once we get through this summer. So maybe we will get Little League Baseball up and running this summer. Maybe kids' soccer can go ahead as well. Other sports uh, may get uh, be operational as well. The key for all sports groups right now is to do what the business, uh, businesses are going to be doing, stores are going to be doing. It's a whole new way of doing things. The rules have to be changed, and that means thinking creatively, thinking outside the box. So if you want to open your business or if you want to play Little League or soccer, you can probably do it. you just got to make the changes accordingly. Now she did talk a little bit about professional sports as well. A little bit later, a squire will mm -hmm. tell us what Dr. Henry had to say about the pause possibility of NHL hockey coming back to town, yeah. uh, which I think we would all enjoy if that does mm -hmm. happen. Keith, thank you. Widespread support for sure. All right, across the country, some tentative steps are being taken to reopen the economy. Five provinces started putting plans in place 
to lift some of the restrictions and closures that are limiting the spread of COVID-19. Aaron MacArthur has the details. A month later than planned, golf courses in Ontario getting into shape. Staff allowed to mow the greens and prepare for opening day. So far, players haven't been given the all-clear to tee it up. I mean, more or less, it's a, it's a month of lost revenue. Ontario in the beginning stages of a phased-in approach. It will take some time to get the rest of the economy up and running, but garden centres, construction sites and car dealerships allowed to open as of Monday with proper precautions. More to come as soon as the province ramps up testing. We still have a lot of work to do. We will not rest on our laurels. Across the country, from Halifax to Edmonton, people are getting the all clear to go outside or go to the dentist. So slowly, carefully, see what happens and then do the next step. Manitoba has taken the further step to allow outdoor dining as of May 4th. And malls can open with limits on the number of people allowed inside. Measures the health officer believes are prudent. If we're following the guidance that's put out, um, we, uh, we really feel this is a safe plan forward. Quebec, with the most stubborn rates of infection, is surprisingly the farthest down the road to reopening. Montreal shops will be delayed until May 18th, but the rest of the province will start to see economic activity this week. The plans to reopen schools set to go ahead. There are enough beds available outside of the greater Montreal region, but it remains pretty tight in Montreal. All of the openings across the country are being phased in. Medical health officers say there are plans to rein it all back in if cases begin to spike. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, the free ride is almost over. TransLink plans to collect bus fare again starting next month. Fare collection on all buses will resume June 1st, along with front door boarding. Temporary plexiglass extension barriers are being installed on conventional buses, with traditional operator barriers and vinyl barriers being added to the rest. TransLink is still asking customers only to only use transit during peak hours, if necessary, to allow space for essential workers. And of course, the COVID crisis is having a huge impact on the budgets of many municipalities. Now, a new poll has found the, mass, uh, the vast majority of Surrey residents want council to put the brakes on the city's controversial and expensive transition to a municipal police force, at least for now. Grace Key reports. Now is not the time to replace Surrey RCMP with a municipal police force. That's according to a new poll commissioned by the National Police Federation, the union that represents 20,000 RCMP members across the country. Keeping property taxes low, is there going to be a deferral, uh, job losses, small businesses, keeping those employed? That's where they think that the, the, the Surrey Council should be focusing their attention instead of spending a whole bunch of new money that we might not even have to create a new police service. 803 Surrey residents were randomly surveyed in April. 83% believe in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic now isn't the time to replace the RCMP. 90% want the mayor to reevaluate spending and focus on the most urgent priorities. And there's been a drop in support for the mayor's plan compared with January. Mr. Doug McCollum is doing whatever he have got mandate 
from people and residents of city of Surrey. Guru Nanak Sikh Temple was one of six South Asian temples in Surrey that came forward last summer supporting the transition. Its spokesperson says now is not the time to slow down the process. There cannot be more crime in these days due to the jobless of people. So I think it should be instead of delaying it, it should be done on a faster basis, on, on the urgent basis. The mayor declined a request to comment on the survey. Grace Key, Global News. COVID-19 has turned the film business into a real cliffhanger with many people desperate to get Hollywood North up and running and millions of dollars in revenue at stake. What it'll take to get the cameras rolling again in just over a minute. With thousands of COVID-19 infections piling up every day, what's happening in parts of the U.S. opening up anyway? Coming up on the NewsHour. And a terrifying moment for a toddler caught on camera as she's dragged away by a monkey. That's coming up later. Right now, though, Hollywood North is among the economic sectors now trying to figure out how to resume operations. As Ted Chernecki reports, the very nature of the industry makes a safe restart particularly challenging. Hollywood North, in the good old days when upwards of 70,000 people were employed. But since about mid-March, it's been lights out. No action. All 42 productions halted. We are the creative industry, so and when it comes to scripts and storytelling, I'm certain that whatever parameters are, we're going to see some creative storytelling that's contemporary and of our times from that sense. This set in Richmond was supposed to be for a Netflix series called Midnight Mass. The film industry has warned that if this shutdown lasts into June, it could come with a $2.5 billion loss to the BC economy. The one thing that is certain is that it won't be business as usual once production starts. We're really going to have to take our direction from uh, WorkSafe BC. We're going to have to work with the unions. Um, we're going to have to do it in a way that's safe and that people feel comfortable with. And the other thing that's really important is I, I don't know that we're going to get anything going until we have that border reopened because there's so much cross-border travel with producers and directors and U.S.-based uh, talent. Those buffet-like meals for crews are probably gone with boxed lunches instead. And aside from more sanitation, body temperature monitoring and face masks, technology will come to the rescue. Technology is allowing us to continue. If this was 10 years ago, I'd suggest this would be virtually impossible, but some of this remote technology, I think, is going to help us get back sooner. Technology like the 360-degree camera used when the Blue Angels flew over New York last week. A single operator can pan, tilt, zoom, and look anywhere. Thunderbird Entertainment has been able to keep some of its productions, like Highway Through Hell, going because of this camera. So there's reason for optimism. I would think that there's certain shows that will be in prep within the next month, um, and then it really will depend on some of those other issues that are under our control in terms of the border. An operating film industry means instant cash into all those BC companies that supply it. But going back to an unsafe work environment is not an option. Ted Chernack, Global News. The B.C. government has changed its conditions for temporary layoffs to help workers and hopefully make it easier for businesses to reopen when the time comes. Victoria has extended the temporary layoff period to 16 weeks for COVID-19-related reasons. Under current standards, a temporary layoff longer than 13 weeks in any 20-week period is considered a permanent layoff with employers required to provide employees with a notice of termination 
and or severance pay. Extending temporary layoffs allows employees to take full advantage of the Federal Canada Emergency Response Benefit and hopefully allow employers to quickly resume operations if the public health emergency ends within that time frame. Still ahead, a good Samaritan who risked her life trying to save others. If my lungs are burning and it hurt. What she did to comfort a family in agony after an ATV crash. And a mix of safety and fashion. How a local company expects its face shield to be a hit. Traffic is in good shape both ways over here at the Portman Bridge tonight. This is westbound traffic coming out of Surrey down Johnson Hill. At Kermet Collision and Auto Glass, the safety and well-being of their employees, customers, and community is their top priority. For essential vehicle repair information, please visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Portman Bridge. Black RCMP confirming two children died in an off-roading accident over the weekend. The pair was in a side-by-side with their parents and another child when the family lost control and ended up submerged in Foley Lake. Jennifer Palma has more on the tragedy and the efforts the family had taken to keep everyone safe. The wreckage of a deadly crash is dragged from Foley Lake, an area east of Chilliwack. What started off as a fun day of recreation as a family turned into every parent's absolute worst nightmare. This side-by-side off-road vehicle lodged into logs where the lake is four meters deep since Sunday afternoon after an Abbotsford family of five riding in the vehicle rolled down an embankment. A nine-year-old girl and a ten-year-old boy died. It's a forest service road, so kind of as you see here, um, it does get quite narrow up alongside the uh, lake um, and drops off, uh, in some places it drops off quite a ways down to the lake. Emergency crews were called to the scene just before 1 p.m. According to police, the day was sunny, but the Foley Creek Forest Service Road was wet. The family had been wearing helmets and had seatbelts on when control of the vehicle was lost and it plunged at least 70 meters. Passersby tried to help the family. One male in a pontoon boat uh, dove into the water in attempts to rescue the family, um, and other individuals that were on scene were... I I believe at least two people went into the water and others were part of the just emergency response by alerting the first responders how to get to the area as quickly as possible. Two adults and one child are in stable condition. The BC Coroner Service is now investigating. Police say that no foul play is suspected here. That is just simply a tragic and horrific incident. Jennifer Palma, Global News. I promised the mom that I would stay to be there when the kids were extricated from the, from the water. A woman camping in the area sprang into action when alerted to the accident. Joy Pringle ran a long way to the lake and attempted to save the children trapped in the side-by-side. But the water was just too cold. She shared the ordeal on Facebook. I scrambled down 100 feet to them where they were and proceeded to jump in the water to rescue the kids from the side-by-side. They were age 9 and 10, named Sarah and Jacob, and I jumped in the water and I took a belly board with me, actually, and floated on it initially so I could stay buoyant um, because the water was freakishly glacial cold. 
So as soon as I located where they were, where I could see bubbles, I jumped into the water and I had my breath taken away like immediately. It was very cold. Um, I went down, my lungs were burning and it hurt and I was able to find the tire fill around but I couldn't see anything I couldn't feel anyone and I decided that it wasn't safe enough for me to continue doing this and it was so cold and too hard to hold my breath and find them so I actually had to call it that it was too too difficult and not safe to continue the, the recovery oh, feel for her she was very brave to try there's been a lot of talk about the new normal and what society will look like when more businesses reopen, even as the risk of COVID-19 remains. One big part of that new normal will undoubtedly be the widespread use of gloves, masks and face shields. And that's where one Surrey company is hoping their product will be a hit. Sarah McDonald reports. It's anything but business as usual these days at this manufacturing company in Surrey, which was already busy building machinery for clients in the food service sector long before the pandemic. We started thinking about different ways that we could use our resources and capabilities to help. We'd go through drive-throughs or, or anything like that, looking inside restaurant kitchens. We would notice that almost every employee in there was already wearing a ball cap. Uh, but they had no protection between their face and the food they're preparing for it. And we started getting to work on that. The result? The cap shield, a locally invented and constructed wearable barrier between an employee, customers and product. Built to attach to hats or visors with custom-made clips, it was initially invented for restaurants, but that target demographic has since expanded. We've had clients from all different industries contacting us, including uh, dental offices, salons, industrial clients of all kinds. So uh, it's really, really quite diverse and it works for almost every industry. It is not meant for the medical industry, though it could help it indirectly by cutting down on the use of these in other professional settings. When we think of the chefs or service staff at restaurants and fast food chains, uh, we don't see any time really where they're going to decide they don't need this any longer. And that's already evident by interest from corporations in high volume orders, which could pay off for volunteer and nonprofit organizations too. So we're donating 10. Uh, of the CapShield products for every hundred we sell. With the first shipments already packaged and sent, you could see yourself being served with a side of something familiar soon. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Straight ahead, some states go rogue to reopen. You can understand why a very infectious virus is creating such a problem. Why health experts are extremely worried about what's happening in the United States. Also tonight, booze warning labels and how we act when we see them. Join Global BC as we gene up this May to support BC Children's Hospital Foundation. Grab those genes, post that pic, and donate at geneup.ca. And let's help BC kids get out of their hospital gowns and back into their genes. Traffic is in good shape over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Minimal delays between Delta and Richmond. Keep in mind, though, overnight maintenance. It does cause some lane closures between 9 p.m. and 5 a.m.
to help you stay safe and at home. Lowe's is offering free parcel shipping and curbside pickup with online purchases at Lowe's.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. We don't want to stay home anymore. I do think it's too soon. Despite warnings from health officials, more than half of the U.S. has at least partially reopened tonight. More than 30 states have now eased quarantine restrictions. And while many people appear to be following social distancing advice, others are gathering in crowds despite a heavy police presence. Frontline healthcare workers are worried this could lead to a deadly second wave of COVID-19. And that comes just as an unreleased draft U.S. government report forecasts possibly disastrous consequences. The controversial document warns cases of COVID-19 in the U.S. and deaths could skyrocket. With more states starting to ease restrictions and reopen their economies, a sobering new projection inside a draft government report from the Trump administration, warning of the possible consequences. Predicting by June 1st, the daily death toll from the coronavirus could nearly double to 3,000, and the number of cases could jump to 200,000 a day. The New York Times obtained the internal document, which cited projections from a Johns Hopkins University model. Former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb says there could be an alarming new reality in some states that are reopening now, despite not seeing a decrease in cases. As you start to reopen the economy, as people start to interact more, they stop the social distancing, that slow burn of infection could ignite at any point. It comes as President Trump is revising his projection for the number of lives lost. Two weeks ago saying the death toll could be as low as 50,000, but on Sunday saying it will likely be significantly higher. Dan, look, we're going to lose anywhere from 75, 80 to 100,000 people. That's a horrible thing. We shouldn't lose one person over this. Tonight, the White House and the CDC are disavowing the draft document. The White House saying it's not their document, that it's not gone through interagency vetting, and is not reflective of any of the modeling done by the task force. The creator of the Johns Hopkins model telling the Washington Post the projections were unfinished and not in any way intended to be a forecast, but adding there are reopening scenarios where it could get out of control very quickly. Gottlieb noting cases are expanding in 20 states. And it may be the case that we have literally tens of thousands of infections every day and we just have to learn how to reduce our risk and how to live in an environment where the backdrop is that there's going to be continued spread of this virus. Some bizarre footage out of Indonesia is going viral. That is a monkey riding a tiny motorbike when it suddenly stops, grabs a little girl and appears to try to drag her away. Now, since being shared online, some have pointed out it appears there is a leash tied around the monkey's neck. And it's believed the owner of the monkey was pulling the leash, which led to the toddler being dragged even further by the monkey. The child was traumatized, but an adult did step in. Aside from a few scratches, the child is okay. A new study out of the University of Victoria is calling for warning labels on alcohol. As Brad McLeod reports, it comes just as alcohol consumption spikes during the COVID crisis. Are your booze bottles adding up a bit quicker lately? You aren't alone. The BC Liquor Distribution Branch said sales went up drastically at the end of March. And the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction found when the COVID crisis began, 21% of 18 to 34-year-olds say they drank more and 25% of 35 to 54-year-olds are doing the same. Reasons given, lack of schedule, boredom and stress. 
But there's something that could counter all this. Warning labels. We're invited by the Yukon Liquor Corporation to test a new label. The study, seven years in the making, put thousands of these warning labels on stock at a White Horse liquor store. So what we found, astonishingly, was um, about a 6.5% reduction in consumption in White Horse compared with the outlying areas and compared with the Northwest Territories. The label showed Canada's national drinking guidelines. Two daily standard drinks for women, three for men, with the caveat to plan two or more days a week with no drinking. Also an illustration to show what a standard drink is. But the label that caught the ire of the beer and wine industry, this one. Alcohol can cause cancer. The liquor industry is so powerful here and everywhere. The link between alcohol and cancer is supported by the Canadian government and the World Health Organization, but the Yukon government nixed the cancer label after pressure from the liquor lobby. When asked if the province is considering labels on alcohol, they did not get back in time for our deadline. But the study has been on the BC government's radar. In a 2018 report, when the subject of labeling was brought up to the hospitality and liquor industry, there was no support for such a move. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. Straight ahead, a mission to make spirits soar. I think this is probably going to be more important than any air show we've ever done now. How the snowbirds are salvaging an air show season grounded by COVID-19. And in sports, saving the NHL season, the plan that might involve Vancouver as a hub city. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The summer of 2017 was one of the worst wildfire seasons on record in B.C. Thousands of people were forced to evacuate their communities. Now the investigation into one of the biggest fires that year, the Elephant Hill wildfire near Ashcroft, has determined the most likely cause. CKPG's Jill Sperling has more. It's been nearly three years since the Elephant Hill wildfire started its rapid spread across BC's south-central interior. And it consumed 191,865 hectares of land between the Kamloops Fire Centre and the Caribou Fire Centre. The wildfire ignited on July 6th, about two and a half kilometres southeast of Ashcroft. An investigation was soon launched to determine its cause. We had fire origin and cause specialists that work with the BC Wildfire Service go up to the site and they use um, a standard scientific method to try and figure out the origin and the cause of the wildfire. The investigation has now concluded and the BC Wildfire Service has written a report naming smoking materials as the most likely cause of the Elephant Hill wildfire. That could encompass a number of different things. It could be uh, matches, cigarettes, cigar, marijuana. Investigators were able to land on this conclusion by speaking to people in the area at the time and eliminating other potential causes. Things such as lightning, an escaped campfire, railroads. So that's what led it to be um, smoking as the suspected cause. The BC Wildfire Service says one of the reasons it was such a lengthy investigation is because the fire burned so hot and so vigorously, it was difficult to acquire evidence. No matter what we're doing, we need to be really cautious that we're not causing these human-caused wildfires because they can have significant impacts on a number of different people and on the landscape in our beautiful province. Jill Sperling, CFJC News. Well, who says symphony orchestras are all stuffy and everything? After the forecast.
forecast why Darth Vader is watching the VSO's latest production. Love the bar scene. All right, May the 4th be with you. April showers bring May sunshine <laughs> is what it looks like out there, Christy. Yes, briefly, briefly, Chris. It was a great day for the most part, and we still have rain in the forecast for later on today. I wanted to just quickly mention, you're talking about the fires. Uh, it is really dry still across all of uh, much of the province, but especially over southern BC. Uh, we barely had any rain through the month of April, so please be really careful out there. Only six fires right now, but a new one near the uh, Stave Lake area just as of today. So we're not sure the cause, but we'll be tracking that. All right. We can expect a little bit of everything over the next 24 hours. This is a photo from Sunday when we also had a little bit of everything. Thank you to Mark Smith for that one. And uh, yes, we had hail and we have the chance of seeing some hail tomorrow as, as we have a chance of seeing some beautiful rainbows as well. So here's a look at what we're expecting. The band of rain will push in overnight. Tomorrow, actually, we'll see because the sky's clear. Slight chance of showers out through the Fraser Valley, but that's about it. Sunny and hot for most of the day, except we will see through the evening hours bands of rain or pulses of rain push in with a risk of thunderstorms in there so that's why we said i said we could see a bit of everything from sunshine to cloud to downpours of rain and hail most areas will see sunshine during the day but you do have a risk of thunderstorms through the afternoon as well as these pockets of rain as will squamish out towards the fraser valley tomorrow and parts of metro vancouver Wednesday is looking at like a chance of showers, but we do clear out. It looks like we've got a fantastic trend on the way for all you mothers out there as we head towards the weekend. And I'll leave you with our central windows weather window from Chilliwack. Thank you to Steve Somerset. This is this morning, believe it or not, before all the clouds rolled in. All right, back to you. Nice view. Thanks, Christy. Beautiful. Well, the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra may have won Star Wars Day with their imaginative May the 4th video released online. Five VSO musicians recording their own version of John Williams' Cantina Band. The video intercut with Star Wars characters appearing to watch with mixed levels of confusion. Musicians Julia Lockhart, Karen Gerbrecht, Michelle Goddard, Vern Griffiths and Malcolm Armstrong each performing in their own homes. Special props to percussionist Griffiths for making a drum kit out of the contents of his kitchen. The video also features the children of VSO members dancing along. You can see the entire video on VSO's <laughs> YouTube channel. So cute. Squire Barnes turns the whole new set into a drum kit. Somehow. But I've never used, was he using turned upside down pots and pans? It looked like it, I gotta yeah. try that. I gotta try we that. We might have some on the kitchen set for you, Squire. Uh, we really? <laughs> and, and don't we try it every night at 7 o'clock? We do. We're all kinds of chances <laughs> that's to, true. to participate <laughs> that's tonight. That's right. That's when Chris says that thing that confuses people. Happy banging? <laughs> yeah, that one. Uh, <laughs> Christy started that one. Okay. Uh, hope is not lost for the NHL. No, well, no, they're still talking about this. And the Canucks would be happy to host NHL games if the league uses only a few cities to finish off the season. I think there are ways that we could look at having games being played, perhaps in, in B.C. Dr. Bonnie would have to say yes. There would be parameters, but if they can be met, Rogers Arena could be one of the NHL's lifeboats this year. And 
in the middle of a pandemic, the Snowbirds on a mission to bring the nation together. NHL dreams live on for a lot of folks. Let's see what the latest is from Squire in Sports. All right, the Vancouver Canucks have told the NHL they are very interested in hosting multiple games at Rogers Arena for multiple teams in order to finish off the regular season and then start the playoffs. Since it's unlikely teams would be able to travel between cities like they used to be able to do. This was the last time we saw the Canucks play a game at Rogers Arena. It's also the last goal scored by a member of the Canucks. Scores! But JT Miller's shootout winner against the Islanders might not be the last game action we see at Rogers Arena. Vancouver, one of a few Canadian cities that's applied to the National Hockey League to become a hub city to host NHL games. It's something BC's chief medical health officer is on side with. There are ways that we can do it safely. So um, I think it's a, an interesting idea. And I think there are ways that we could look at having games being played, perhaps in, in BC. Um, hockey would be one that we, we could certainly um, look at. During this pandemic, the NHL has said all along it plans on resuming the regular season and then have teams play for the Stanley Cup. Global BC has learned that Canucks, along with the Edmonton Oilers and Toronto Maple Leafs, have reached out to the NHL on being a hub city. If chosen, a hub city would host eight NHL teams, and those teams would be in total lockdown mode with daily COVID testing. They'd begin a three-week training camp, followed up by another three weeks of game action to finish off the regular season. There would be parameters that we've talked about, so I would not see there being um, an in-ice audience, for example, but we could broadcast the games, and there's ways that uh, players can take precautions to ensure that there's physical distancing, and, you know, when we think of hockey, which I love, um, that, you know, people are wearing face masks, so there's ways that uh, players are protected when they're on the ice. It's hockey night in Canada. Each city has its own merits. Rogers Place in Edmonton is practically a brand new building with a hotel and practice rink attached to it. Edmonton and Vancouver have also done a very good job containing the COVID outbreak. In Vancouver, there's also ample hotel space to accommodate and isolate eight very busy NHL teams. As Global BC has also learned, hub cities could be hosting anywhere from two to three hockey games a day. So I absolutely think that these are the types of, of things that we need to think about um, how we can do them safely during this summer. Yeah, you wonder if this happens, if the NHL would ask their players go to the full face visor uh, just for extra protection. Okay, NFL Hall of Fame coach Don Shula died today at the age of 90. He coached Baltimore and Miami in his career. He won two Super Bowls with the Dolphins, including that year the Dolphins went unbeaten. Shula was an NFL head coach for 33 years. He was never fired. He either quit or retired. The NFL says there will be no games in London, England or Mexico City this season because of the pandemic. There were supposed to be five international games, but they'll all be held in NFL stadiums instead. The NFL had been holding games in London, England every year since 2007. 
I guess I really don't have to say London, England, but somebody might be thinking London, Ontario. You never know. So I thought I'd just put that out there. Someday. Thanks for clarifying. Thank you. All right, here's Jay Durant with a preview of Global News at 11. Jay? Thanks, Chris. We'll have much more on the uh, would-be heroes who jumped into action at Foley Lakes on Sunday. Plus, Saanich police saw a 700% spike in excessive speeding at the start of the pandemic. And now Burnaby RCMP are reporting a rise in speed demons. How many more excessive speeding tickets they handed out this March over last year. And a Second World War veteran started walking laps around his Oak Bay retirement home today. We'll tell you who inspired John Hillman's courtyard mission and what he's raising money for. Those stories when you join us tonight at 11. Chris, Sophie? Looks good. Thanks very much, Jay. Sounds good. All right, up next, lifting spirits. The Snowbirds Cross Canada Tour paying tribute to frontline workers. To the community frontline workers, thank you for all you do for all of us. Watch Global News at noon when we tell your stories and show our appreciation for your continued service. Visit globalnews.ca slash frontline champions in partnership with Fortis BC and IGA. Time once again tonight to take a moment to recognize our BC healthcare heroes working on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. We've been asking you for your nominations and tonight's comes from Lori and Lynn Huck and they are nominating their daughter, Angela Huck, who is an ICU nurse. Two years ago, Angela transferred from the ICU at Royal Jubilee Hospital in Victoria to the ICU at Lionsgate Hospital in North Vancouver. For many weeks now, Angela has been dealing directly with COVID-19 patients, not only taking her regular shifts, but also taking extra shifts to help with staffing shortages and extra workloads. No surprise, Lori and Lynn say they are worried to have their daughter on the front lines and away from her family and friends, but they are so proud of Angela and her efforts working tirelessly for BC, and that's why she is their health care hero, and you're ours too, Angela, so thank you. And for those of you watching, if you have a BC healthcare hero to nominate, send us a few pictures and some background about why they're your healthcare hero. Send that to BC Healthcare Heroes at globalnews.ca. Thank you, Angela. Mm-hmm. Well, the ongoing COVID crisis has now led to the cancellation of another huge annual summer event. The organizer of the Abbotsford Air Show has now canceled the 2020 show. The event usually draws about 125,000 spectators per day. It had been scheduled for August 7th, 8th and 9th. Organizers say it will return in August of 2021. Well, the Abbotsford Air Show is just one of many events cancelled for Canada's legendary aerobatic flight team, the Snowbirds. But the scuttling of their 50th anniversary season will not keep them on the ground. They have launched Operation Inspiration, a mission that will include a flyover of major Canadian cities from coast to coast. The first was in Nova Scotia, and Paul Johnson has more. In the deep freeze of the prairie winter in January, Canada's Snowbirds demonstration team were gearing up for what was meant to be a landmark season. Obviously all that's changed now. 2020 marks 50 years that the Snowbirds have been flying the same airplane, the Canada Air Tudor, a Canadian-made jet that's outlived and outperformed most expectations. From the technicians who maintain them to the pilots who fly them, the 50th was going to be a celebration of their skill and staying power. The jets were in good condition, the pilots were focused on their training, then the pandemic hit. And we all thought, okay, two or three weeks won't be that bad. We'll be able to get a season in. 
Captain Scott Boyd of Burnaby flies Snowbird number five and says as everything closed down, including their training, every day was a question of when they'd get flying again until a call came last Monday. Hey guys, get ready to go tomorrow. Two, three, four, smoke now. With their nine jet formation and intricately choreographed routines, the Snowbirds are one of the best loved teams on the airshow circuit. Now, their mission has been modified from thrilling crowds in the summer to comforting a nation in a tough time. We really lucked out, it was blue skies, it was a beautiful, calm day. For Captain Boyd, the emotional impact of that first flyover in Nova Scotia Sunday was big because of all that's happened there and one of the pilots in that Halifax-based helicopter crew lost recently had been a classmate of his. Their Canadian flyovers may still make this a very special season. In terms of the importance, I think this is probably going to be more important than any air show we've ever done. Paul Johnson, Global News. That'll be great when it makes its way to BC. It'll be so cool. Well, let's hope we get some blue sky. And it looks like there is some as the week rolls on. Hey, Christy. That's exactly right. We really only have to get through the next two days. Now, actually, tomorrow's not looking too bad, although we'll see rainfall overnight tonight. For the most part, tomorrow will be sunny, but tomorrow evening is when we have a chance of rain. Once again, also a risk of thunderstorms. Showers expected on Wednesday, and then it looks like a good solid stretch of sunny hot weather will last potentially Thursday right through the weekend. So lots to look forward to for the Mother's Day uh, weekend, as well as yeah, if the snowbirds come. Oh, that's going to be awesome. It looks like summer arriving on on Friday. Hmm. Would be a mm -hmm. good day to take the day off, wouldn't it? Who would have planned for that <laughs> ahead of time? Well, we'll have to find out Friday. Won't I, I wouldn't have well. said that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for watching, everybody. You and know what time it is. Happy banging at 7 o'clock. Good night, all.